Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Welcome back to the program again this weekend. I trust that you are tuning in every week and enjoying the things that we're sharing from the book of Hebrews. We've been doing a study on the book of Hebrews, and this is the third segment that we're doing on the ninth chapter of the book of Hebrews. In this segment, we're going to talk about purging the conscience. Uh, You're going to be blessed by this. I, I think you're going to see something today that you've not seen before, perhaps in the scriptures. Let me say, though, for those of you who are just joining us for the first time, you say, man, this is good, and I've missed a great deal of it. You can go back very easily and review what we've shared by simply going to our YouTube page or to our podcast or to our Android feed for the audio portions of this. But if you want to watch the video, uh, go to YouTube, and everything we've aired to date, all of our programs are on YouTube. You can watch them at your leisure, and they are free. Now, let me just simply tell you the easiest way to do that is there's a direct link from our website at lenhouse.com. So if you go to our website, if you, up in the upper right-hand corner, there are icons, and they are pictures of either our iTunes podcast, YouTube, or the RSS feed. And if you simply click on that, it will take you directly to uh, our, our YouTube and to our iTunes and to the RSS feed for the audio portion. Matter of fact, the opening page of my website will have a, it'll look like this set right here of our TV program. If you click on that, it will take you directly to our YouTube page where all of our stuff is archived. You can go back and listen to them at your leisure. We do have several churches that actually pull down our material on a Wednesday night or in a home prayer meeting setting group, what have you, and uh, they pull it down and watch it and uh, they uh, uh, discuss it and it gives them some material to study and to, uh, uh, you know, to, to kind of uh, uh, just dig into. Uh, also, while you're at our website, there's a lot of stuff that's available there. Uh, you could sign up for our message of the month club, which is $7 a month or $70 a year, and it's a message we send out every month to uh, our subscribers, and uh, that's part of the partner base. It helps us touch the world through the gospel. There are several books on there. My latest is From Law to Grace. It's there. Uh, you'll, all these books are on my website. I'm not going to talk a lot about them today because I have a lot of ground I want to cover. The second book is Unforced Rhythms of Grace, and the other book is The Revelation of Jesus Christ. We have one more book titled God's Beauty and the Beast. It's very close to going out of print, so if it's gone, it's gone. But you can get it at least via a digital copy um, by going to our website. And so all of that stuff is available there on the website. We're going to go back into the Word today, and we're going to begin in Hebrews, the ninth chapter. And I'm going to try to read it again, and then we're going to get into unpacking a little bit further. We've already dealt with uh, two weeks with this, so we're not going to go into the first part of it. It said, Then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle made, the first wherein was the candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna, and Aaron's rod that budded, and the tables of the covenant. And over it the cherubims of glory shadowing the mercy seat, of which we cannot now speak particularly. 
Now when these things were thus ordained, the priest went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. But into the second went the high priest, alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. The Holy Ghost, this signifying, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while as the first tabernacle was yet standing, which were a figure for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices. They could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience. I want to deal with this part of it, as pertaining to the conscience, which stood only in meats and in drinks and in divers washings and in carnal ordinances. I sometimes want to draw attention to the fact that he calls these things carnal ordinances. I'm convinced that there's a lot of times when he's talking in the scripture about to be carnally minded is death. He's not talking about just I had a bad thought. He's talking about being, being conscious of the wrong covenant. Carnally minded, the tangible, touchable, physical things that have to do with that, I think many times can we don't think about being carnally minded to be carnally minded is death, but see, if you are carnally minded and it's connecting you to that covenant of death, uh, it's, it's causing, uh, you know, carnally minded is death, but see, what has to happen is there has to be, according to what we see above this, the, something that can purge your conscience. And we'll get into that in just a moment. But Christ become high priest of good things to come by a greater, more ter- perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building. Now, when I began to look at this uh, back some time ago, I began to talk, think about how that the old covenant could not purge your conscience. And I went back to an old scripture that I grew up hearing preached from a very, very legalistic way. And that's in 1 Timothy 3, and we're going to begin at verse 16. Excuse me just a moment. Verse 16 says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. Now the Spirit, and that's the beginning, that's the end of chapter 3, verse 16. Chapter 4, verse 1 says, But now the Spirit speaks expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Now I really am a in trouble here for a moment because I almost need to come back and teach some things about eschatology. But if you've been listening to us, you know that I started out the book of Hebrews by saying, God who at sundry times and times past and diverse manners spoke to us in, through, and by the prophets, hath, past tense, in these last days spoke to us by the Son. The writer of Hebrews called his day the last days. Now remember that Timothy's audience is not 2018. Timothy's audience was to the people who were standing in the latter days of the old covenant coming to an end. Hallelujah. I almost feel like I'm not doing it justice by just mentioning that because we've done so much teaching on the last days. The last days that the Bible talks about, at least just give me this much. Consider the possibility 
that every time you see the Scripture talking about last days, it's not talking about the last days of this age. It was talking about the last days of that age, the closing days of the Mosaic uh, 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 covenant and uh, and, and the Jewish age was rapidly coming to an end, and Peter, or uh, I'm sorry, Paul was writing to Timothy, telling him that in the latter times, in the latter times of what? The latter times that they were living in, that some would depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. In other words, that he, when, whoever writes the book of Hebrews, which if it wasn't Paul, certainly influenced by him, uh, he's telling them again, you're living in the last days. And these people in Hebrews are wanting to go back to Judaism. And this whole book of Hebrews is written to keep these Hebrews from going back to an old covenant Jewish system of sacrifices, trying to show you what's better about the new covenant than the old covenant. The next verse says, they're speaking lies in hypocrisy. Speaking lies in hypocrisy, watch this, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Now look at this context, because the context of the conscience being seared with a hot iron is in the context of forbidding stuff, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast atoned. Now see, notice that the context of this is these guys are forbidding to sin. See, preaching uh, a sin consciousness is uh, they were speaking, they were speaking, in other words, they're preaching against stuff. All the, they're bringing back all the legalism. He said they were speaking the truth in hypocrisy. In other words, these guys preaching this legalism weren't even living it. But one of the things that I thought was so uh, uh, interesting was that this Greek word for uh, having their conscience seared with a hot iron is the Greek word cauterizo. And uh, it, 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 and the word cauterizo is the English word we translate cauterize. And if you know anything about the medical profession, when they are doing a surgery on someone, they will cauterize an artery. They will take something hot, maybe if it would be a hot iron, but this in this particular case, it's talking about a hot iron, and it would sear the conscience, or it would, and the purpose of of cauterization is to stop the flow of blood. So I want to submit to you that one of the things that he's saying here in Hebrews 9 and in 1 Timothy 3 and 16 and then chapters 4 through 6, 4 verse 1 through 6, is he's saying that when you come back, he said in the latter days, in the latter days of what? The latter days of this old covenant paradigm. It was the closing days of this Judaistic system of law and legalism. They're moving away from these animal sacrifices and they're moving away from all of these divers washings. He said they're going to, uh, they're going to depart from the faith. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 24 uh, that there would come a great falling away. He wasn't talking about the end of this age. He was talking about the end of the Jewish age. 
the love of many would wax cold. He's not talking about again in the end of this age. He was talking about the pressures of that day and people walking away from uh, what the Spirit was doing and saying as far as bringing the new covenant. And he said what they're going to do is they're going to come back into these legalistic ideas, forbidding you to marry, abstaining from meats uh, uh, and from which God has created to be received. They're going to preach legalism until they stop the flow of blood to your conscience. Now see, that's what Hebrews 9 is talking about, that these, these uh, blood of bulls and goats, these divers' washings, were only there until the time of Reformation. Listen, the time of Reformation was that thing that was coming on the scene of the New Covenant and the Messianic the messianic age that was coming on the scene of the new covenant was about to be birthed. And what he's saying to them, listen, there's a new, a reformation is afoot. It's coming very quickly and very rapidly. So don't let these guys who are speaking to you lies in hypocrisy. They're preaching stuff to you that they're not able to live themselves. But what they're doing is they're taking the hot iron and they are searing your conscience. They are stopping, in other words, by preaching this legalism, they are stopping the flow of blood to your conscience. And what happens is when the flow of blood stops to your conscience and your conscience is not purged, then you start running from God rather than run to God. And this word to uh, uh, speaking the true uh, lies in hypocrisy is the Greek word pseudo logos. Uh, and of course, we know that the Logos is talking about the word about Christ. So what they're doing is they're speaking lies about Christ. The pseudo-Logos is they're talking, listen, they're not preaching the truth of the gospel of Christ. They're preaching legalism, and what it's doing is it's searing your conscience. Instead of you being able to come to Jesus, you run from him. It's like almost as if, uh, you know, you would, it, it, you know, here's how that, that kind of works. It's, it, it's, it's, I always say this. No wonder people only want to come to our churches on Christmas and Easter. I call them Christers because they come Christmas and Easter. I'm glad they come then. But what happens on Christmas and Easter is we usually gang up on them, and we usually beat them up so bad, and we, we, we start attacking them with all how what a dirty, rotten scoundrel they are, and then wonder why they ain't coming back for another six months. It's because they can only take two beatings a year. And we make them feel how much they owe God and how decrepit they are and how pitiful they are. But it's like it's almost like this. See, here's how I think it, it kind of can give you an example. If I owed somebody a great sum of money that I had borrowed money from one of my friends, I've fallen on hard times and I'm not able to pay it. And you keep on telling me how much I'm behind and how much I haven't paid and how much I owe and uh, how, how pitiful I am at paying my bills. The next time I see my friend and I owe him a lot of money, if I see him on one side of the street, I'm going to cross over to the other side to try to avoid coming into contact with him because I know what I owe him. But see, that's what we do when we get people to churches. We remind them how much they owe Jesus. But see, here's what the good news is. Let's say one of my friends who was wealthy knew that I was in a relationship with this person I'm crossing the other side of the street to avoid. And they come and say, listen, I don't want to see you all separated by some stupid thing like money, so I'm going to pay off Lynn's debt. And I'm not only going to pay off Lynn's debt, I'm going to overpay Lynn's debt, so much so that the person I borrowed money is actually enriched by my fall. 
Here's what I want you to see. The next time that I see this person on the street and I know that my debt has been paid, I'm not going to avoid him by walking across the street to try to avoid him. I'm going to walk across the street. We're going to hug. We're going to look at each other and say, man, hey, it's good to see you. I'm glad you're back, yada, yada. You know, I'm, going to, I'm just thankful that, that you know, uh, I'm restored to my friend. See, here, that, that, I think that's what happens when we preach all of this legalism. It sears the conscience to the point where the conscience keeps you running from the relationship with God rather than running to Him. That's what happened in the Garden of Eden when Adam fell is the enemy came and formed a weapon of condemnation against him. The Satan came to him and says, Hath God said? Of course, you know, then when the man eats the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and he's running from God instead of running to God, God pursues him. Somebody said, well, sin will separate you from God. He didn't in the Garden of Eden. God chased him out of the garden and said, Adam, where are you? And Adam's response was, I'm naked, I'm ashamed, and I need to, be, and I, and I need to hide. See, if what you're hearing preached gives you that feeling, I'm naked, I'm ashamed, I need to hide, then you're probably not hearing the gospel. Your conscience is beginning to be seared with a hot iron. But if what you're hearing says, listen, Jesus paid the debt. I do know I need help, but I don't have to stay away from God. I can run to Him. See, that's what I'm talking about here. The seared conscience, what, what he was saying here is under the old covenant, there was a remembrance again and again and again of sins that were, uh, had to be repeated year after year after year. There was a constant reminder of your failure and of your weakness. But in this new covenant, it's a reminder of what Jesus did to purge your conscience. And the thing that we see as we go on down in here is that it purges our conscience from dead works. See, see he tells us that... Uh, that, that uh, let, me, let me go back to Hebrews 9, the chapter we're in, in verse 9 says, which was the figure for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience. So there was no blood on the conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks and diverse washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of re Reformation. But verse 14 says, how much more... I love this. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So the purging of the conscience is a purging from all of these dead works of what these guys were preaching in Timothy, forbidding to marry, forbidding to eat meats offered to idols. It was all of this legalism that they were preaching that caused people to walk away not realizing that Jesus and the blood of Christ through the eternal spirit offered himself to God without spot ought to purge our conscience so that we could serve the living God now without any uh, wanting to run from Him, without any sense of saying, I need to hide from God, but coming boldly to a throne of grace. See, that's not saying that there's not issues in your life that need to be dealt with. It's saying that the blood of Jesus made it possible where you could approach this most holy place and be accepted in the presence of God on the basis of that offering. 
And verse 15 says, And for this cause he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death and for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testimony, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. So he's saying to them, listen, you need to have your conscience purged. Move away from this legalism. I, I, I can't imagine the difficulty. You know, we, we talk about walking away from legalism in our day, but see, we're talking about some real serious stuff that was inworked in their culture. I mean, from how, you remember the argument that they had over Jesus and his disciples, and they said, your, your disciples don't wash their hands. And man, it's amazing to me. They were going to fall out on his disciples, don't wash their hands. And Jesus said, it is not what comes, it's not what goes in the man that defiles him, it's what comes out of his mouth that defiles him. It's not the external, but it's what comes out of the heart of a man which defiles him. But they were, I mean, listen, this, these divers' washings, these carnal ordinances, these things that would can cause your conscience to be seared, would make you want to walk away from God rather than run to Him. And he's talking to these Hebrews again in the last days of the Mosaic system. And he's saying to them, listen, in the latter days, men are going to give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, and they're going to have their conscience seared from a hot iron. They're going to, in other words, they're going to move away from this relationship with Jesus, and they're going to fall by the wayside, but you need to have your conscience purged <coughs> from dead works so that you can serve the living God, that you need to understand that by means of death and for the redemption of the transgressions, we might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Now, I'm going to jump into chapter 10 for a few verses just to pick this back up because he talks about the conscience. He tells us in verse number 2, For then would they not have ceased to be offered, because that the worshiper once purged should have no more conscience of sin. Excuse me. What he's saying here is that if those first sacrifices could have done the job, then they would, they would have ceased to have been offered. But all they do is remind you again. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance <coughs> again made of sins every year. Having therefore, then we skip down to verse 19 of chapter 10. It says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to entering to the holiest, which is what this chapter is about, is access into the holiest. We enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new, <coughs> excuse me, and a living way, that is through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And then it tells us in verse 22 of this same chapter of Hebrews, <coughs> let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith, for he is faithful that promised. I'm telling you, that's some powerful stuff. We can have our conscience purged so that we can draw near again with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Excuse me. <coughs> Knowing that the blood of Jesus was enough. The only thing that I can see in the scripture that the blood of Jesus was applied directly to was it was applied to our conscience. What we need to do is put the blood on our conscience and what will happen is instead of us giving heed to seducing spirits 
and pseudo-logos, or doctrines, false teachings about Christ, pseudo-logos. Coming from hypocrites, by the way, who aren't even living it themselves. We will let the blood of Jesus purge our conscience. Let it remove the guilt and the condemnation and all the stuff that it puts on us to keep us from running from God. There are probably people sitting there listening to me right now who feel like you, you, you've gone too far. You just went over the edge. And you've sinned so much that you've sinned away your day of grace. Well, first of all, you can't sin away your day of grace. Where grace, where sin abounds, grace will superabound. But I think God wants to reach in there and touch somebody today who feels like, listen, man, uh, I've seared my conscience to the place where, as Romans chapter 1 says, we don't like to retain God in our knowledge any longer. And when we don't retain God in our knowledge, then we give ourselves over to the things to do all manner of things of uncleanness. <clears throat> but you're probably sitting there thinking, man, I, I, I went too far and I'm not sure God can do anything for me. Uh, I, I, I've been powerfully used of God in my past, but I've just done too many things. I, I, want, I, I want you to just receive right now where you're at the flow of the blood of Jesus to purge your conscience. Only the blood can flow over your conscience and get rid of all of the feelings of guilt and condemnation. See, that's really the weapon that the enemy forms against us, is the weapon of condemnation and the weapon of guilt. But the scripture says there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Listen, we need to have our conscience purged so that we don't run from God, but we run to God. We don't cross the street to avoid Him, but we run right into the presence of God. And what we find out is He's not there to reject us. He's there to embrace us and to cause His Spirit then to empower us to receive the eternal inheritance. And we're going to talk about inheritance in the next segment. But we're going to receive this purging of the conscience so that we don't serve God according to the letter of dead works, but the life-giving spirit that's working in us does the work in us and it changes us. So we don't have to run from God, but we can run to God. We've been reconciled to God by the death of His Son. In Romans 5 it said, He reconciled us by the death of His Son. And He gives us a ministry of reconciliation telling us, Be ye therefore reconciled to God. What's that mean? It means God is not angry with you any longer. You have been reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Now you be reconciled to Him. In other words, God ain't mad with you, so you stop being mad with Him. Come in, crawl up on His lap, call Him Daddy God, and realize He's purged your sin and received the forgiveness of sin. Receive Him into your life and watch Him turn things around for you. We're about to run out of time. I just want to thank you for joining us again today on the program. And I want you, if you would, to take a moment to call that number on the screen or to write to that address that will come up in a few moments on the screen. And if you can help us to take the gospel around the world, your generous gifts and support 
is what it takes to do that. If you'd like to become a partner, you can call on the phone or you can go to our website and set up a monthly debit that will come out every month if you want to do it that way. You can also send check or money order. But your support is what helps us take the gospel around the world. For that, we say thank you and God bless you. I'm very excited to announce the release of my newest book. It is titled, From Law to Grace, A Kingdom Paradigm Shift. In this book, we talk about how the gospel is not about a law you have to keep. It is about receiving a life that will keep you. It is not about living this life out of fear. It is about living a life of faith. It is not about rules. It's about a relationship with a loving Father. It is about moving from the old covenant government of condemnation to the new covenant government of affirmation. It is about living life as a citizen of the kingdom right now.